Think for a moment about the idea of a human being lifting 1,000 pounds. That's an incredible accomplishment. Our guest this week has done it. Chris Duffin is arguably one of the strongest humans in the world, having been the only person to squat and deadlift over 1,000 pounds for reps. And he holds the Guinness World Record for the heaviest one-rep sumo deadlift at 1,001 pounds. In just a moment, Chris will join us to share his incredible story of strength and resilience and the lessons you can learn about accomplishing your goals against any odds. This is The Fit Mess, conversations with world-class experts in the fields of mental, physical, and emotional health. In this episode... Had a house with a white picket fence, a very comfortable marriage, two kids, lots of money, owned a gym on the side, was competing and ranked number one in the world, and uh, looked at myself one of the days and I said... Why am I so fucking unhappy? Now here are your hosts, Zach and Jeremy. Welcome to The Fit Mess. Thanks for listening while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing right now. I'm Zach and he's Jeremy. And together, we're two vulnerable guys helping you overcome struggles to achieve your mental and physical wellness goals. Jeremy, I can tell you one of my goals is not lifting a thousand pounds of anything. Yeah, I could barely lift the laundry this morning, let alone a thousand pounds. The accomplishments that this guy has, Chris Duffin is just an incredible dude. We'll talk to him in just a minute. Not only lifting a thousand pounds, not only starting multiple successful businesses, but this dude grew up in the wilderness, homeless among murderers, drug runners, serial killers, skinning rattlesnakes. I mean, just an incredible, like, I think about, like when I think about your childhood, your childhood was a mess compared to mine. Like mine, pretty standard garden variety trauma. Yours, next level. His makes us both look like we were raised in Disneyland. Listening to his story, I was like, huh, I didn't have it so bad. It was, it was, it was pretty easy after listening to that. I mean, the rattlesnakes alone was, was <laughs> right, like, any one of those. I don't like snakes at all. Like <laughs> you, dealing with rattlesnakes as a, as a child. No, nope, nope. Fuck that. No way. And one of the things about a story like his, and, and we'll talk to him about it in a minute, is whenever I hear stories of people with incredible accomplishment, it can go one of two ways for me. I'm either motivated by them and think, oh, man, they overcame those odds. That's incredible. I can overcome my nonsense, my depression, my sadness, my, you know, whatever, whatever crap I'm dealing with. Or I can go, man, how much do I suck that I can't get over my own nonsense to do what I need to do when that guy went through so much worse and did so much better. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the standard glass half full glass, half empty, right? You can either think of it as like, yeah, he did more than me, but my glass is still half full. Or you can think of it as, oh man, look at me. My glass is definitely half empty. There's no value in what's already there. Like it's something we all struggle with for sure. I I mean, I, I have it all the time too, but this guy, definitely makes me feel like I had a really easy childhood. So of all of his crazy accomplishments and and things that he's done, it's his motivation that I find to be just completely incredible. And Zach, I know you go to the gym every morning at like 1am or whatever insane time you roll out of bed to go do it. I can't get motivated to go. I, I used to enjoy going. I went one time recently, hated it. And now my, my mindset to, to go back is, is even set back further because the one time I went and I hated it. So where do you find your motivation like this just going and sitting in a room and lifting heavy things just seems like the most boring monotonous thing I could imagine doing with my time getting out of bed at 4am or whatever to do it I can't I cannot put my head in that space right now how do you do it every day I had a conversation with my daughter about it the other day because she went to a CrossFit kids class and 
you know, it really helped me explain to her like why I go because yeah, it's hard. It's not fun. It's challenging. And I mean, part of it's my, my personality. I am competitive and I'm competitive with myself, but I go and I get myself out of bed in the morning because of my why, right? I go lift heavy things so that I can do things in life easier, right? I like I've got in, in my house, I regularly am in the basement and I have to go all the way up to the second floor. So two flights of stairs and back down, right? I don't want to be winded when I do that, but I go to the gym to prepare me for life. All of the strength that I build at the gym prepares me for things that I need to do. You know, if I ever have to lift a car off someone, maybe I can do it. I don't know. <laughs> but what I can tell you is, interestingly enough, like I hurt my shoulder at the gym the other day. And man, like when I am not able to do the things I want to do, I get that bug to just stop and not go because then it's no fun for me because I can't do the things that I want to do. And uh, shout out to Kayla. I, I'm still going. I'm doing very, very light things with my shoulder making sure I'm not injuring it. But the, like the motivation is there for me because I want to be able to live a long, healthy life. And I don't want to be 80 and not be able to move. So the more I move now, the better I'm going to be able to move in the future. When you do what you love, like running, biking, and enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. Inside Tracker can help. It was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside your body and offers you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. With Inside Tracker's concrete action plan, you'll be able to track your progress towards reaching your goals every day. And for a limited time, we've teamed up with Inside Tracker to provide our listeners with a chance to win the ultimate Inside Tracker prize package. Head on over to insidetracker.com forward slash fitmess giveaway or click the link on our website and enter for a chance to win a prize pack worth more than $1,700 from Inside Tracker. I think maybe you just helped me identify what it is because I've always struggled with the concept of starting doing something and not being immediately good at it, right? Like if I'm going to go skiing, I'm going to get on the ski lift for the first time ever with skis on my feet. I'm going to go to the top of the biggest mountain and I'm just going to breeze down and anything else well, if I fail, if I get too scared, like whatever, never doing it again. Hate it. That, that's just not for me. The, the idea of starting on the bunny hill and, and just going down a, a small hill and not falling on my face, that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. I, I have to be immediately good at the thing. So when I walk into the gym, A, not knowing what I'm doing, following some random guide that I found on, on the interwebs, it's, it's hard enough not knowing what I'm doing, but then feeling like I'm not good at it. And then also you go for a week or two, you don't see the results, you don't feel all that much better, if, if at all. So then it's just, it's so easy to fall back into, well, this sucks. What, what am I doing this for? Because yeah. we, at least me, I, I know I'm driven by instant gratification. I think most people are. They want results immediately for the effort that they put into whatever the thing is. And so maybe this is it. Maybe that, that's, it's simply... That because I don't feel like I'm good at it, that I immediately put it in the this sucks and I suck at it category. Done. Don't need to do it anymore. Well, I will just throw this out there. If you're ever going to get better at anything, you got to get comfortable with that feeling. Right. And, and I'm, I'm not just talking about the gym. I mean, anything. And I have to imagine that you tell your daughters this all the time. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and there are other <laughs> aspects of my life that that I do. I throw myself in feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and I suck at this and this isn't going to work out the way I want it to. 
and I'm able to to push through and and maybe it is there's a different why attached to them maybe there's a, a bigger reason but I can say yeah healthier stronger better but that stuff's not tangible right there's there's not a I'm going to have X level of success. And, and to me, lifting something that's a thousand pounds, I, I have no personal attachment to that. I have no, no desire to lift something that's a thousand pounds or 200 pounds or whatever the number is. It's meaningless to me. I've got to find that other meaningful thing to drive me to do the thing. Well, let me rephrase it to you this way, because we do talk about this all the time. You're framing it as I went to the gym and I sucked at it. But I'm going to argue you are a hundred percent better than you were the day before, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Glass half full, my man. You were better than you were the day before. You are now stronger than you were the day before, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you felt it and it hurt like hell for two days. But you were stronger and you did better. Yeah. And well, the next time you go, you'd be stronger and better, and it's little incremental improvements. And the instant gratification thing is a real problem. With, it is the way the society is a gen, as as a general thing. Yeah, and and when I was going to the gym uh, on a regular basis, it was when I was at a job where I used the gym as an escape. So my my motivation was this gets me out of the office for an hour. This gets me away from those people I have to deal with all day. So it wasn't even about I'm going to feel better, I'm going to look better, I'm going to be healthy. It was just like I don't have to do that. Like doing this is better than doing that. And what I'm doing now is more fun. So I would mm-hmm. rather go walk in the woods or go hike or go sit in a cold lake for two minutes. Like go do something that I enjoy because I can rather than because, because the payoff's not immediate. Going to the gym isn't this immediate, like, oh, got me out of that deal. Jeez, thank goodness. All right. Well, I see, I now see a new use for our Facebook group, the fitness community, which if you haven't joined already, you should go out and, and join that because we're, we do monthly challenges around yoga uh, meditation, things like that. And we're just having good, honest, open communication about it. But I think one of the other things that the group is going to be helpful with is accountability. And I think I'm going to turn everyone into the group to be your accountability partner, to get your ass to the gym. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of accountability. It's going to take a lot of motivation to make me. Well. And there's the dumbest thing. I mean, I mentioned this before. It, it's like a six minute walk to the gym from my front door. So it's not even a, a, an effort to get there. That is my Number one biggest struggle in going to the gym is just fucking going to the gym. Mm -hmm. Because there's that moment every single morning when I sit up and I look at the clock and I go, I would really like to go back to sleep or I'm going to go to the gym. And it's just that one moment. It's the hardest part. And if I get up and turn the alarm off, that's it. Now I'm just on autopilot. And, you know, just making that choice every morning to go to the gym instead of getting back into bed, it takes resilience. And for me, it's a little bit of resilience for that specific decision, but there's things throughout our entire day that take even more resilience. So let's jump into the interview with Chris Duffin, where he talks about how he used his resilience to become an accomplished athlete, entrepreneur, thought leader, despite surviving an abusive and chaotic childhood, being homeless in the wilderness. And we started with asking him how he became known as the mad scientist who pushes the development of resilience. Most people would say, hey, I'm known for feats of strength, this big lifter that's done some amazing things. I'm the only person that's ever squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds and done so for reps. There's a Guinness World Record sitting there behind me. But I've also 
do a lot of other things. So I co-founded several businesses that bring unique products to, to the market. So I specialize in biomechanics, kind of gray area return to return to play, physical therapy, speak a lot in those arenas, and actually have a pretty extensive engineering background, used to run aerospace and automotive manufacturing companies. So nice. I, I play in a lot of different arenas. And that's kind of where my skill set comes in and why I'm kind of I'm called the mad scientist. I didn't make that up myself. That's uh, what people started calling me just because of this this crazy kind of ideas or things from so many different disciplines that didn't make sense. I would bring, bring out and people like, Oh my God, that's, that's wacky. It, it works. It's, it's real. And that's what I've tried to do is create tools and methodologies for people to adapt in the right manner, because not all stresses we are going to be able to adapt in the right ways to other things that we don't recover well from. There is, too much, which we dive into the eagle and the dragon talks a lot about trauma and things of that nature. Uh, you know, I've been all morning. I've been thinking about a human being lifting a thousand pounds. And I thought that was going to be one of the more interesting things I was going to ask you about, but I'm more interested in your motivation. I, I sort of uh, function by necessity. Like as things come up, I have to deal with them. I, I try and be prepared as much as possible, but as, as things come up, you know, I deal with them. The amount of things that you have accomplished, especially with your with your background, which we'll get into in a minute, how how do you do it? Where does that drive well, come from? That's incredible. You've got to have a deeper rooted sense of of self and where you're coming from and what you want to accomplish. Like, let's take the thousand pound squat and deadlift. That was something I spent five years on, and I had very specific goals that I wanted to accomplish out of it that was beyond the lifting of those weights. And then we can dive deeper into that because then that becomes the story, the, the eagle and the dragon, the, the story behind the book. But you know, with those three things, like I create content to help people live a better quality of life through development of physical resilience. And within that, there's a, a priority system of how I look at the body in both assessment and correction. And it, it's based on the priorities are based on the largest global impact. And the largest global impact is going to be the ability to control and manage spinal mechanics. Second behind that is going to be the foot and ankle complex. So with that in mind, I create tons of content around breathing and bracing mechanics. And I, I believe that you need to be able to walk the walk and demonstrate what you do. Like, <laughs> and so what is fundamentally physically, how can I demonstrate coming from a guy like myself, who's had back injuries so bad, I've had to learn to walk again, by the way, that I can do something so phenomenally challenging on this and not make it a specialist. That's why I'm going to do a deadlift and a squat so that, you know, based on your preferences for lifting the ape index and other stuff that comes into play to make somebody a specialist in one or the other. That's why I said both, because people have done one and half the other have done the other, but nobody's done both. You know, so I want to show fundamentally with two basic human movements. One, the squat that is this lift that every able human body should be able to do because it's built into our ner our nervous system, actually. We actually learned that around the nine-month period of time in a, in, in a developmental uh, kinesiology. You learn this, but it, it that where that comes in as you get into moving from crawl, you know, from rolling to crawling, to getting into the quadruped, to getting up into a standing position and then being able to use the hip hinge to be able to generate force into a standing position, right? The second being, be able to pick something up off the ground. Like fundamentally, these are two things. So I wanted to walk the walk and do that. Teach 
what my tools and my education and show just what it is. But I picked a thousand pounds because it's, well, it's a thousand pounds. It's grand. That's why I called it grand goals because the other side of this coin is I want to show people that you can do things that are unthinkable. Like when I started this quest, I didn't say what I was even going to do. I was, I'd been ranked number one in the world for like eight years straight, all time world record holder on, you know, the total, the squat. And I, I didn't tell anybody I was going to do because they would have thought I was crazy. I just said, first up, I just going to, I'm going to squat. I'm going to deadlift a thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. People are like, that's crazy. Okay. And then I did it. And then I trained again for another three years until I said, I am going to squat a thousand pounds. And people are like, you're crazy. And then as I got closer, I said, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to do it for reps. <laughs> like, cause that's what I've done <laughs> with the deadlift. And like, but to show people that you can go so much further than what you think. If you, if you focus on it, if you create this desire, this platform, the things that you need to align your life to accomplish something. And the last piece was to raise awareness for charities that I believe in along the way. So I did a number of feats of strength actually leading uh, into this. I squatted eight. I don't need to list them off. It'll sound uh, egotistic, but I I kept doing things that raise money for charities and things that I believe in. So a lot of them were local around creating homes and care for homeless mothers for kids that have been victims of trauma and sexual abuse, speaking at some of the boys' homes that that's happened at or where they're, where they're taken care of. And then actually, as we got closer, did a, a big one with Alex's Lemonade Stand. So if nobody's heard of this, it's an incredible platform, but my business partner's grandson was uh, going through uh, cancer treatment at, the, at that period of time. And so these were the ones, so check those out. And so that was the, the trifecta of like what I was accomplishing. So it wasn't just like, hey, to do this thing, to say that I did it. I mean, obviously that's a big motivator for me, like understanding my, you know, my root, you know, values of things that I live on, which is one of those being a highly competitive person. Yeah. Seeking recognition. I can say that without ego. I like to be recognized for the things that I've accomplished a bit of creativity and that you can see that in the design of uh, this, but the deeper stuff is this, like helping people understand that like challenge and strife and the things that come at you in the world. And that's the bigger story. It doesn't tie as much to this one, but is it is something of value. It is something, there's so many people that speak to it and say, oh, it's, you need to turn into it, but not really, really articulating just how much it is. So in the fitness environment, we can talk about this from a physiological standpoint. And it's, you know, specific adaptation to impose demand. Like if you don't, if you don't train, if you don't use your body, it will begin to atrophy. Quit using a limb, break your arm, do something. It will begin to atrophy and it happens quick. but this is life as a whole. This is every living being. The essence is to strive against the environment. Like if, if, if a tree doesn't have the wind hammering against it and the environment going, the, the roots do not grow deep and strong into the ground and root it. And it will grow to a certain height and it will fall over. And this is proven. Okay. (laughs) The the bark, well, it will literally kill itself. Like, I'm not over speaking when I, when I say this, so I don't want to, you know, you know, disregard trauma and things that may have happened to people, but it has happened. And you may as well use, if you've, if you've been a victim of that, use what you can to become a stronger and better version of become a more resilient because 
it can be too much. It can be those things that if you do, again, we're on the fitness podcast. Hey, if I go do CrossFit four hours a day, you know, seven days a week, and then another cardio session, you know, after that, I won't recover. Mm. Right. So it's always this balance. But if I go, I need to recover, I'm going to take a deload week. Oh, I was way stronger when I did that and felt better. I'm going to go deload for the next six months. <laughs> it's not going to work. Right. I could do a massive hard workout once every four months and make no progress. Right. So uh, I've been going on a ramp for a little bit. So that's I'm, all right. I'm that's stop all right. for a second. But we were talking about the squat. What are my motivations? Yeah. Those are some of the motivations, right? Sure. So, but those are the big three specific to, to, to that one. And I'm, I'm a little passionate about these things. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. First, the squat. I've actually been coming back from an injury and I think it was five months ago. I would, I couldn't even squat an empty bar. Like I had a whole bunch of problems with my knees and my, and my hips. turns out it was all foot mobility issues. And now I'm up to about 245, but it's it's that really, really slow progress and being resilient about it. But, you know, my resiliency is very different, I think, than yours. And, you know, based on your book, where you tell the story of, you know, how you grew up, how, you know, I'd love to hear you speak about, you know, your childhood and how you grew up and how that ties into, you know, where your resiliency is today. And is it more than say the average person because of that or, or, or the, or vice versa? No. So, you know, as I, as I talk about my story, it's not about saying, oh, woe is me or, or I'm such a badass. I overcame all this. It is, but it is a story that I like to share because it, it, it can articulate how far you can come. And it can be just the same thing as what you've done over the last five months, going from a bar to 245. You're more resilient now. You're less prone to an injury now than you were five months ago, right? Because you've developed that. And five months from now, you're going to be further along in this process, right? And so life is the same way. And we forget about it. We're always trying to seek comfort. I'm going to just jump into my story. Let me get off the rants. I grew up homeless in the mountains. So my parents, my, particularly my, my mom, you know, had some... She, she chose the life that she chose for a reason. She was going to school to become a chemical engineer. And she said, screw it. I don't want to be part of society. And she had her reasons for doing so. And she wanted to make a, make some sort of, you know, a life outside of the norm. And so she ended up up in the mountains uh, north of San Francisco. That was shortly after I was born. And then while we were living in the mountains, my brother came along, my three sisters came along. And we lived in very remote areas throughout Northern California through much of my early life. And some of these areas are now popularized. So I understand this is in the late seventies and early eighties, but this was, if you've, there's a documentary around on Netflix called uh, murder mountain. Okay. Mm -hmm. I lived 50 miles from there, but oh, deeper man. and more remote. Wow. And so anybody that has watched that and now read my book, you'll understand when I'm talking about the things that happened to me and our family, how real it is when we're talking about police corruption, serial killers, murderers, human trafficking, all this stuff that I detail in my book, like that's what we were living amongst. And there's times like, 
you know, six years old, the book starts out like, I'm being taught how to capture and handle live rattlesnakes. I got one wrapped around my arm, you know, before I kill it. Because that's the environment we lived in. We were, we were living in tree forts at the time. And because there was rattlesnake dens all around. It was so many years, even into high school, there was, I'm like, you know, heating up jugs of water in the sun on a rock so that I can go dump it over my head to, to take my bath. Right. Or during the winter, you know, doing that on a pot on a wood stove and stepping out back in the snow so I can not be laughed as as much when I go to school for how I smell. So (laughs) this is, this is my upbringing. And when I, when I'm telling about living around those things, those things happened directly to us. And I, I speak to them in the book. I have really trouble speaking, speaking to like some of those things without it's, it's still a little challenging, but we were taken by the state for a while. First time I saved my mom from the serial killer was in 1985 human trafficking directly affected the family. And I'll just leave it at that. It's a, it's a wild ride of a story. Once the parents got us back from the state care, went to central Oregon they were in the drug trade. That's why we were in that area. Mm-hmm. That's how you make <laughs> just, there's a lot of other unsavory people not doing it for uh, altruistic reasons uh, in those environments. You know, they decided to stay clean when we moved up to, to Oregon after getting us back because they want to risk losing us again, but quickly fell back into, Hey, we don't want to be part of the world. And so we up, we're up in the mountains prospecting, mining, uh, you know, I'm early age, very physical to draw, you know, God, I've, I've worked my whole life. Yeah. It sounds like it. <laughs> and, um, uh, hauling backs of rocks up the side of hills and digging. Anyway, it's, uh, we ended up in that environment by high school, got something of a stable, uh, living. So ended up in a mobile home. It was not really livable one, but it was, it had running water and electricity. And so had a stable environment, less the, you know, the, the alcohol and drug abuse that was going on in the household, because that was getting worse uh, over mm-hmm. time. My stepfather who uh, raised me continued a downward mental uh, decline into insanity. Mm-hmm. And I left to go to college. I was pretty successful as a student, as an athlete. And when I went to school, I didn't contact really keep in touch with my family for the first like year and a half, just because it was easier. If I called or went home, I had to give them money, you know, I was dealing with all that stuff. And so I was just working and going to school and, and honestly partying a lot too. Mm-hmm. discovered, uh, I had a lot of, uh, self-esteem issues and other stuff growing up, you know, when you're in that type of environment, you have those views of not only yourself, but, you know, comments that people make or how they treat you. It's a, it's a real thing. And so when I went to college, I realized, you know, nobody knows me, nobody knows my background. And I started drinking a bit, which kind of opened me up from, you know, some of those insecurities. And I found that I was a fairly likable, charismatic person. And, and I, God, I kind of liked that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, reality of it, but I quickly found out things were not going good at home. So somehow I was like a little bit of a stabilizing force. And when I left, things got really, really bad at home. And so I ended up taking custody of my three younger siblings and started that my senior year of college, maybe my end of my junior year, somewhere in there. I was basically finished with college anyway. I was working full-time. I was just finishing my senior project and I had all my classes done. 
and I was working on a dual engineering, uh, second engineering degree. And yeah, anyway, I, I raised all three of my sisters over the course of chasing my career, getting my MBA, doing all these sorts of things and started lifting weights and competing. I started lifting weights, by the way, in 1988. So just long before junior, early junior high, middle school, somewhere in there. But I was a physical person before that. Yeah. uh, And blessed with pretty good, pretty good genetics for my, my, my mom, very athletic. Yeah. That's the early part of my life. Yeah. That's just how things got then, rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Easy and then after that, I, uh, I advanced in the, in my corporate world. Next thing you know, I'm like, you know, running companies, doing turnarounds, being sought for, for, for doing this stuff, like growing somebody from a regional to a national to international. Like my big one, I did a turnaround on a, an aerospace company that I was going to lose its contract with Boeing. Everybody's going to lose their jobs. I came in turned around to be the best supplier in the world to Boeing for quality and delivery and financially solvent, got them prepped for sale and walked them through the sale process. And uh, that's uh, freaking this crazy kid from the sticks did that. I had, right. had a house with a white, pick, white picket fence, uh, very comfortable marriage, two kids, uh, lots of money, owned a gym on the side. I was competing and ranked number one in the world. And uh, I looked at myself one of the days and I said, why am I so fucking unhappy? Yeah. Like I'm the kid, this kid from the sticks that proved like I can live the American dream. Here it is. I did it. I proved, you know, all those people that looked at me and, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe it was my internal perceptions, but uh, <laughs> when I was younger. Right. And, uh, and uh, I proved them all wrong. Yeah. Like I beat everybody at everything. That's what I, you know, it doesn't matter where you turn. I'm like, you want to be intellectual? I did that. You want to be career? I did that. You want to be athletic? I did like, do you, uh, do you feel like all of that? I mean, you you mentioned that you, you realized that you were unhappy. Do you feel like all of that sort of hyper intense pursuit was trying to get to that happiness? Like trying to figure out how do I find peace after an entire early lifetime of, of chaos and instability? I think it, a lot was driven by those, those things, you know, in that analysis, retrospect post, like, yeah, a lot of that I think was driven by my, my desire to prove myself, mm-hmm. my, to be better than everybody that had uh, judged me, it, everything yeah. like, and yeah, I mean, I think that that definitely played a role. And is that a good place to come from? Nah, probably not, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what it accomplished in, but it, what, what made me unhappy was I was not myself. I was not authentic to who I am. I was living someone else's dream of what they thought, how you should live and what success looked like. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Nobody can tell you what success looks like or what's going to make you happy. So I quit my job. Yeah. I quit competitive lifting. I pulled out all my 401k that I earned over the last 20 years, sold my homes, asked my wife for a divorce and rebuilt my life. Cause I said, this is what I want to do. I want to have passion about everything that I want to do. I want to help people live a better quality of life. I want to inspire people and I want to use the tools because I'd actually been gaining a ton of knowledge. I was doing a lot of continuing education on the clinical side and integrating that with my lift. I was using that mindset, that the engineering mindset or whatever 
just how I operate. And I knew what I wanted to do. Like I, I was missing some things in my career. Like mm-hmm. I was able to inspire people, obviously in the leadership roles, turnarounds are not like some fancy reorg strategy. They're like one person at a time changing that individual, which is challenging. Yep. But I, I, I lacked the creative side. I lacked the ability to really impact and enact the change that I felt that I could in the world to help people live. And so I I'd owned a gym on the side and I was competing as a high level athlete and I was starting to post content. Well, not starting. I'd been posting content online for free for like seven years, writing articles and like sharing little, little snippets of my stories and the impact that it was having, like the content that I was producing was like massive, getting people out of pain. Like (laughs) your five months, how'd you feel to go five months ago, mentally and emotionally? Oh, it was horrible. Like, yeah, fucking horrible. Yeah. You changed that for somebody like that's, it's not solving world hunger, but I tell you what, it's doing something really impactful in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Started Kabuki Strength around like that vision, that philosophy, and started drawing great talent to it, created new innovative products that, that help people realize that, education, started drawing this amazing team. My, I drew my wife, my current wife. Mm-hmm. My one and only discovered love for the first time. I thought I was just going to be a single dad. And like at 40 years old, found this amazing thing in my life that I didn't even realize was a thing like that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just in books and movies as some, you know, farce, like, wow, holy cow. And I decided to lift on my terms what I wanted to do. I competed long enough. I've proved myself there. I want to do it in a different fashion and changed every aspect of my life. There's a lot there that I want to ask about. And I think the thing that that sticks out to me so much is that I typically react to stories like yours in one of two ways. Either one, I go, man, if he can, if this guy out there, whoever he is, can overcome this incredible, like struggling childhood, like nothing I've ever heard, this is unbelievable. Then what's holding me back from my garden variety trauma bullshit and and really going after the things that I care about and, and being successful at them? The other way I can go go about it is, to feel worse about not overcoming my shit and just being like, God, I, I suck even more than I thought because, you know, my life's been relatively easy by comparison. So to the, to the people having both reactions, what, what message do you have for them to help them sort of figure out, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I'm sick of my own bullshit. I want to move on and, and get, get better at yeah. parenting, life, health, fitness, whatever it is. And this is, this is where it becomes practice. And this is where the discipline comes in. This is where the references to training come in that I was talking about, because as we try to find comfort as human beings, there's some big impetuses, things that push us into the, the things that are scary and cause us to growth and develop resilience, which is like, you know, you get to your teenage years and you want to leave home and then get on your own. You want to find a mate, which is going to make you like kind of step over those insecurities and push into like, and then move that relationship to the next level and then have kids. And then, but beyond that, it stops. And that's where we see people kind of stall out because mm-hmm. from there, you actually have to take an active conscious approach yes. from it. Those biological drives are now gone. This is my opinions, but they're gone. And this is where it's easy to fall into the routine, the comfort, the, the, we seek it and think that that's the answer yeah. when in fact it is the thing that makes our gut twist going. I want to avoid 
that hard conversation over there. I want to, you know what, there's a difficult challenge. I, I'm going to family relationship. It's a boss. It's a coworker. It's a whatever. I'm using a, just a hard conversation. Practice. That's your opportunity, right? It's the, the move in your life of, I want to take on a new project. You know, your boss says, Hey, anybody wants to take on this, you know, challenging, let's disappear in the back of the room. I don't want that. I don't know if I can pull that off or I go back to school, start your own business, make a career change. All these are examples of going, look at those things that scare you, that little bit of excitement, but mixed with it. And it just caused that twist every time. That's your practice to be able. I can't tell you that every one of those is going to turn out to be success, but every one of those is going to develop the resilience, right? And so I had the opportunity of forced into learning this stuff because I was, these things were hitting my whole life and I was either going to fail like everyone around me because I had every, nearly every major type of trauma there is happen to me during the course of my life. And, you know, that's <laughs> going to either be a drug addict, dead or in prison, right? And, and so I was forced to make those decisions not, and didn't have to actively, like, nobody tells you this stuff. Like, yeah. there's no school, you know, class in high school or college that tells you this stuff, but this is life. And that's the, you have to stay in the practice because you're going to find that place of comfort and you sit back for too long. You need it. Like take a vacation, take that week off, resettle, re have a great weekend and find your energy. But just like not training for three months, a deload week may treat you good. Not training for three months. You're going to get soft. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just physical, it's mental and it's emotional. So you've got to have those challenges. You got to have the practice, you got to have the workouts. And then if you layer those, just like over time, just like, you know, making that as a resilience process from a bar to 245 over five months, you're going to, you can st keep stair-stepping and you can keep moving above it, but you have to stay with it. Not too much though, because that's just like you're, you know, doing daily doubles every day to the point of failure. So you've got to have, you know, the balance. And so, so that's, it, it becomes an active conscious practice. You've got to do it, but ride the line of not burning the candle on both ends, not succumbing to the, the hustle porn, the, the, all the grind, grind, grind mentality that everybody make sure that you're, you're chasing the things that truly mean it. So that's one side of it. The other side is, Truly understand what you want because you're going to need deep-seated motivation to really move through this stuff year over year, decade over decade to make huge things. So it can't be, I want money. I want rich. Like you got to freaking peel back the layers and understand these things that really mean something to you, this way of living. And I listed a couple early for me, competition, uh, recognition, creativity, continual learning would be another one, sense of family. Like it's all going to be different. They're not things that you can ever own or have. You never get it, but you're always moving into it. It's this, you know, place that you can always take a step. And so then now the thing is now take a step back and every day ask yourself once you've created this, like, well, it's, it's not great. It's like, it's always being revised, but like, Am I taking a step today that moves me towards this path that I want? Because what will happen is you get caught in the drift of life and you haven't taken a step for six months mm -hmm. and then it's six years yep. and then it's two decades and you're like, where the fuck did life go? And next thing you know, you're on your deathbed 
and you've got all these regrets. And I guarantee go go walk into a freaking home where people are on their deathbeds and ask them this question. Okay. This is where most people end is having those regrets. And we love to feel, we love to feel like we're doing stuff and creating these bucket lists and pulling things off, but is it truly aligned? And if you just take this one, one minuscule step every day, doesn't have to be big and it can't be big. It won't be one tiny step that looks like you've moved nowhere. Do that. And then look back 10 years from now. And you Mm -hmm. can see that a kid from the sticks can do what I've done. Like with Kabuki in within a couple years. So I'm going to launch a brand. I'm going to create products that are going to change. I want to change the face of fitness. I haven't done that yet, but within a couple years, 29 of 30 major league baseball teams, customers, 90% of the NFL, 90% of the NBA, 600 plus colleges, every major one that you could think about. You're Canadian. NHL teams, they use our stuff too. You know, of course, I mentioned uh, the, the one MLB holdout. It's not the Canadian team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty massive for a period of time. But it, it's, it took decades to get there mm-hmm. for this kid from the sticks to be able to be positioned to do those sorts of things. And when you look back you've got to you got to focus on that one step because if you've got something you want to go someplace and you think about everything that's you've got to you've got to understand the vision the you may not have it all figured out but a general nebulous cloud of where i want to kind of be it's going to be overpowering mm-hmm. the 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 how unbelievably complex and hard it's going to take to get from where you're at to where you are there. But you got to understand the suffering and all the work and the, you know, it's not just like, you know, kid going, Hey, I want to be an NFL star and I want to be whatever they tell you in school, be a dreamer. Like you've got to understand the work, the vision, Mm -hmm. everything in there, but you've got to focus on just that one little step in front of you today. Yeah. What's your next workout? What's your next? This, uh, I relate everything, like, everything to either cars or training. They're uh, great analogies. For <laughs> yes. <me>, so um. <laughs> I like that. I, I am, I am incredibly impressed with, with you as a person, with what you, everything you've accomplished and really the, the distance that you've had to travel to accomplish all of those things, but we are coming and I would love to talk to you for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> yes but we are pretty short on time here. So you know, I'd love to ask about the book, where we can get it and where can we find you online and find out more yeah. about you if we want to learn I'll, more. I'll make it super easy. So you go to just my personal website, Chris Duffin. That's like muffin, but with a D, right? <laughs> ChrisDuffin.com, pretty easy. Or Christopher Duffin. You go there, there'll be links to all my social media profiles. There'll be links to uh, Kabuki Strength, Barefoot Athletics, Build Fast Formula. There'll be links to where you can buy my book. There'll be a link for a free Audible download. Uh, if you join up an Audible account, get my book and one other book. And, or you can just, just straight get my book because you, you got to sign up for an account if you do that. You know, it's not technically free. Right. Yeah. But I'll give you the first half of my book for absolutely free to just sign up for the email list on there. And you'll also get the exclusive discounts to the company, uh, exclusive educational content. Just go there. I want to have, please buy my book too. But like, <laughs> if you don't want to, I get it. I'll give you the first half for free anyway. Um, 
So that's the easiest place you can find uh, social media. I'm on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook are the the three more prominent link. People are like well, LinkedIn. Why don't you do Twitter or something? I don't know. Right. I can't. I can't conversate 140 <laughs> characters if you haven't figured that out. And I deal with a lot of professionals <laughs> in the in the in the in the, in the uh, professional coaching and uh, clinical world. So LinkedIn ends up being great. Just. Type in Christoph and you'll you'll figure it out. Yeah. Facebook and and uh, Instagram. I got a little blue check next to me. I know you don't memorize the freaking avatar. You guys are smart enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris Duffin, not Muffin. You don't strike me as a guy that eats a lot of muffins. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, cookies. That's another story. Oh, that yeah, boy. Make room for the cookies. Uh, All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Incredible, fascinating story. Inspiring. Thank you so much for your time, for the book, and uh, and for all the work you're doing. It's very important stuff. Thank you. Appreciate uh, you guys letting me uh, talk so much on the show. Hopefully, I didn't talk over you, but I uh, I really want to share my messages. And uh, we we let the the uh, interesting people do all the talking here. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> So much more that we did not get to that I wish we had more time to spend with Chris Duffin. He's the author of The Eagle and the Dragon, A Story of Strength and Reinvention. You can find links to that book and all things related to Chris on our website in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. And while you're there, head on over to Facebook where we've got the Fitmess community group, where we are having lots of good conversations about how we are being more resilient every single day and challenges and being healthier mentally and physically. It's just been really good to connect with people there. The link to that is, of course, on Facebook and also on the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com, where we will be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Thanks so much for listening. See you, everyone. We know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.